Hi, thanks for joining LTC NAC Chat, a podcast brought to you by the American Association of Nurse Assessment Coordination, ANAC. I'm Jesse McGill, Curriculum Development Nurse with ANAC, and your host today. We are continuing our 2018 REI update series and we'll be reviewing the remaining updates for sections I, J, K, M, and O. So let's start first with section I, active diagnoses. Here we have a new item being added, and we are to indicate the resident's primary medical condition category. A little history on this item is we're seeing this item added so it can be used as a risk adjustment or a covariate for the new SNF QRP section GG outcome measures, which are also being initiated this October. So there's a direct correlation between section GG items and the SNF QRP along with your I0020 new item. And because of that, we're only going to code this on our Medicare residents on the PPS 5D assessment. Now when we talk about how we're going to collect this information, the REI tells us we're going to be looking at the medical record, we're going to be um, looking at physician diagnoses, the HNP hospital transfers, discharge summaries, progress notes, and other resources as available. And what we need to indicate is what the resident's primary medical condition category is for their SNF PPS day. And there's a long list. I'm just going to read through that list quickly. So the categories include stroke, non-traumatic brain dysfunction, traumatic brain dysfunction, non-traumatic spinal cord dysfunction, traumatic spinal cord dysfunction, progressive neurological conditions, other neurological conditions, amputation, hip and knee replacements, fractures and other multiple trauma, other orthopedic conditions, debility, cardiorespiratory conditions, medically complex conditions, or other medical condition. If we choose other medical condition, we must indicate the ICD-10 code in a additional coding category. The REI updates give us a couple tips on coding this category, and the first one is that if we are coding a diagnosis here in I0020, we must also code that ICD-10 code in either one of the checkboxes or in I8000, um, in, in I0100 through I7900 in section I. Another coding tip is that if the resident has a hip or a knee replacement that is secondary to a fracture, then we must code the primary medical condition category under fracture, not under knee or hip replacement. And the final coding tip is, um, and I'm not going to get into a lot of detail because there's a lot of examples for this one, but there's a lot of clarifications for coding quadriplegia. And I encourage you to read through those updates when you come across that coding situation. The next new item we have is in section J, health conditions, and the item is J2000 prior surgery. This is another item that is being added to the MDS to be used as a risk adjustment or covariate for the new section GG outcome measures. J2000 prior surgery 
is documenting if the resident had a major surgery during the 100 days prior to admission, and it's a simple no, yes, or unknown. When we look at the coding instructions, the REI provides us with the criteria for what constitutes a major surgery, and it states that it must meet all of the following. That the resident was an inpatient in an acute care hospital for at least one day in the 100 days prior to admission to the skilled nursing facility. The second criteria is that the resident had general anesthesia during the procedure. And third, the surgery carried some degree of risk to the resident's life or the potential for severe disability. The next item we're going to review is some updates in section K, which is the swallowing and nutritional status. And this is a very quick update where CMS is now saying that they are not requiring the completion of some items. However, they will remain on the item set because some states still require the completion. So the items in Section K that CMS will no longer require completion as of October 1st is Column 1 only, which is while not a resident, for K0510C, mechanically altered diet, K0510D, therapeutic diet, K0710A, proportion of total calories, and K0710B, average fluid intake. Again, these items are only going to be not required for column one, but you must still complete if your state requires. So it's very important to know your state regulations and requirements. If your state does not require the completion, you are able to use the standard no information code or the dash. Section M is the next section that had some updates. And the first update was a, a pretty significant change in language. And that was the introduction of the term injury in with pressure ulcer. And this was completed to better correspond with the terminology from the National Pressure Ulcer Advisory Panel, NPUAP. And the term injury and injuries have been added to many of the pressure ulcers. Um, so for example, stage one pressure ulcers and deep tissue injuries are termed pressure injuries because they are closed wounds. Stage two, three, and four pressure ulcers that are open or unstageable due to slough or eschgar are termed pressure ulcers because they are usually open wounds. And unstageable pressure ulcers due to non-removable dressing or device are termed pressure ulcer slash injury because they may be open or closed. Now, the exciting part of section M is we have several items that are going to be retired as of September 30th, 2018. Essentially what this means is if your ARD has a date of September 30th or earlier, you will complete these items if the ARD is October 1 or after, these items will no longer be on the item set. All right, so the first item being removed is M0300B3, the date of the oldest stage two pressure ulcer. The next item being removed is M0610, which is the dimensions 
of an unhealed stage 3, 4, or pressure ulcer related to Slaufer-Eschgar. And M0700, the most severe tissue type of any pressure ulcer is being removed, as well as M0800, worsening of pressure ulcers, and M0900, healed pressure ulcers. Now, one thing that I want to really reinforce, and CMS really reinforced this in their uh, recent training, is that because these items are being removed from the MDS, does not take away the responsibility of the SNF to continue their care for these wounds. So just because it's not documented on the MDS does not change that the facility is still responsible for assessing, measuring, monitoring, and tracking these wounds. All right, so let's take a look at some of the other clarifications that were added in section M. One is a care planning tip. And CMS states that the comprehensive care plan should be reevaluated to ensure that appropriate preventative measures and pressure ulcer or injury management principles are being adhered to when new pressure ulcers or injuries develop or when existing pressure ulcers or injuries worsen. CMS also added several clarifications to present on admission and added several examples that are, that are throughout section M. And just to um, review, I'll review a couple of those examples. One is if a resident who has a pressure ulcer or injury is hospitalized and the ulcer or injury increases in numerical stage or becomes unstageable, due to slough or eschgar during the hospitalization, then it should be coded as present on admission upon re-entry. Another coding tip in regard to present on admission, if a pressure ulcer was numerically staged, then became unstageable, and is subsequently debrided sufficiently to be numerically staged, Compare its numerical stage before and after it was unstageable. If the numerical stage has increased, code this pressure ulcer as not present on admission. Alright, there was only one other update to section M, and that is in section M1200G, application of non-surgical dressings. And CMS added an example to what is not included which previously just included band-aids, but they now included wound closure strips and band-aids as items that cannot be coded under the application of non-surgical dressings. All right, with the updates that leaves us with section N medications, which was a very significant update to the REI manual. Section N brought us drug regimen review and three questions related to the drug regimen review. Um, this, this item is another one that is very closely related to the SNF QRP as we have the drug regimen review measure that's also going to be started soon as we start coding the drug regimen review questions. So when we look at drug regimen review, the intent of this item is to document whether a drug regimen review was conducted upon the resident's admission 
which is the start of the SNF PPS day. And we're going to continue to identify if a drug regimen review was completed throughout the residence day, which is through that PPS Part A discharge, to identify if any clinically significant medication issues were identified and were addressed in a timely manner. The definition of a drug regimen review for the MDS is as follows. A drug regimen review includes medication reconciliation, a review of all medications a resident is currently using, and a review of the drug regimen to identify and, if possible, prevent potentially clinically significant medication adverse consequences. The drug regimen review includes all medication prescribed and over-the-counter, nutritional supplements, vitamins, homeopathic and herbal products administered by any route. It also includes total parental nutrition and oxygen. The first question for the drug regimen review is N2001, and it asks, did a complete drug regimen review identify potentially clinically significant medication issues? And the expectation is that this item is completed at the time of admission. CMS recently hosted a training on Section M and reinforced that if you have a Medicare admission on Friday evening, waiting until Monday is not timely. They said it really needs to happen at the time of admission or as soon as as soon after as reasonably possible. The REI goes on to clarify what clinically significant medication issues may include, and there's a long list. And it says it includes these, but it's not limited to. And I'm not going to read all of this. I just want to give you an idea of some of the items included. And it includes excessive or inadequate dose, adverse reactions, ineffective drug therapy, drug interactions, duplicate therapy, wrong resident dose, route, or time errors, omissions, not adherence, which could be purposeful or accidental. All right, so we're looking at any type of potentially clinical, clinically, potential clinically significant medication issues during this review. The second question, which is also on the five-day MDS, is in 2003 medication follow-up. And it asks if any issues were found, then if we identify, if we notified the physician or physician designee and was contacted then by midnight of the next calendar day and completed the prescribed or recommended actions by the next calendar day at midnight. And when they talk about communication, they are very clear that this must be a two-way communication the clinician contacted the physician and the physician came back to the clinician. So it says that the communication was to the physician by the midnight of the next calendar day and all physician prescribed or recommended actions were completed by midnight of that next calendar day. When we look at the next question, which is in 2005, and that's medication intervention, 
This item is only completed when we get to the discharge assessment. And this item is medication intervention. And we are looking at any time or every time a potentially or actual clinically significant medication issue is identified throughout that resident's Medicare stay, that it was communicated to a physician and that the physician prescribed or recommended actions were completed by midnight of the next calendar day, each time that potential or actual um, clinically significant issue was identified. One of the uh, confusing parts of the drug regimen review is the fact that we have another process that is also called drug regimen review in the requirements of participation um, in the state operation manual appendix PP. This is under F tag F56. The drug regimen review in the state operation man manual and the requirements of participation is that it is completed at least once a month by a licensed pharmacist. And these regulations are very important for the success of the survey, but we need to be able to clarify in our minds and throughout our, our clinical team that we have two processes here that have the same name and they're both continuing at the same time. So we have MDS drug regimen review, which is, which is the process that I have just described with the um, identifying at the time of admission any potential clinically significant medication issues and then at discharge reviewing and ensuring we notified that physician by the next calendar day, um, by midnight of the next calendar day, any time we identified one of these issues. And then we also have the state operation manual drug regimen review, which is that monthly with the pharmacist. Um, the MDS drug regimen review is the one that's going to be um, impacting your SNF QRP data. It's also if we dash any of the section in 2001, 2003, 2005 items, that would count against our annual payment update for the SNF QRP 2% reduction. All right, and we do have just a couple more updates, really small ones. Section O had uh, two updates. One is in chemotherapy. They added a clarification note on the use of tamoxifen and clarified that tamoxifen is not to be coded as a chemotherapy agent since it is a hormonal agent that is re used to reduce the reoccurrence of breast cancer. And there was also changes to how the items for mechanical ventilation and CPAP and BiPAP are coded on the MDS. O0100F is going to be defined as invasive mechanical ventilation, ventilator, and that's going to include your ventilators and your respirators. And O0200G is going to be named non-invasive mechanical ventilator, which includes your BiPAP and your CPAP. The last update that we saw with the REI updates is in the care area assessment worksheets in Appendix C. And as we go through those worksheets, there's a lot of items that uh, are coded from the MDS and pulled. So we saw some MDS items being added next to sections. We also saw opioids being added to care areas for delirium, visual function, 
communication, activities of daily living, incontinence, mood, falls, dental, and the pressure ulcer slash injury connotes. There was also behavioral review indicators that were updated significantly to include many of the section E items and alarms was added as a factor that can cause or enhance behaviors. And that concludes our 2018 REI Updates podcast. I hope you enjoyed these quick little bits of the updates coming to the REI and MDS this October. And if you have any questions after listening to these podcasts, please feel free to jump over to the LTC community on ANAC and ask your question to the members there. Thank you. Mm-hmm.